morning again. Who's to think? Yep, okay. Um, in, in 2005, your, uh, your pastor was just graduating high school, and uh, he still had hair. And, and just, just so that you can get excited already, at some point during the sermon, you'll actually get to see a picture of that. Um, it really did happen. Uh, I wasn't bald from birth. At one point, I had hair. But I, I finished high school, and the summer after I graduated, I had the chance to go on a, a mission trip to Guatemala. Because <clears throat> um, to this date, probably one of the, the, the most meaningful mission trips that I had an opportunity to go on. It was kind of out of the blue. Uh, I got some, some scholarships to be able to, to pay to go and some help from, from various people in that regard. But it was an all-church trip that, that our church at the time took. It wasn't a youth thing. It was adults and kids alike. And um, it was a couple other churches that joined in too. So we had a team, a good solid team of probably like 40 or so, 40, 50 people all together uh, that spent 10 days roughly in Guatemala in the, in the more remote areas. So we flew into the you know, capital, but we drove for hours into the mountains. Uh, and we worked with this, this orphanage that a, a married couple had started years and years and years ago in this really remote part of the country where no one else kind of really was. Uh, and so we, we got to do a whole host of really cool things. Uh, the primary reasons we were there were, number one, to help build and construct. The orphanage was kind of building things up. I, I spent much of my time putting together one of those massive industrial playgrounds. You know, like, you ever buy one of those and they offer you, like, you can pay, like, $600 to have it professionally assembled? And if you're, if you're an idiot, you chose not to do that and do it yourself. Well, we, we had, like, 20 of us take a whole week to put this thing we're talking like massive, like it would take up this stage, you know, kind of huge play structure thing. But we assembled it ourselves. The other thing that we were there for is to do medical clinics. We had a whole bunch of nurses and even a couple doctors that were a part of the, the trip. And so we all kind of became pharmacists in training and helpers in some ways. You know, the kids would kind of welcome people and, and do this stuff. But it was a beautiful time of building up this orphanage and providing medical aid to these remote places of Guatemala. Um, one of the days that I had come back from doing a whole lot of manual labor, um, I came back to the compound with my team, and we were just disgusting, like muddy, sweaty, gross. Um, and it was getting to be like towards the end of the day. It was going to be dark in a couple hours. And we're just you know, one of those mission trip experiences where you come back and you just want to shower more than anything in life. You know? And so we're back, and we're excited that the day is done, and we get to reprieve and rest. And one of the people that was working for the orphanage looked at us and said, I need a bunch of volunteers to get into the trucks. We're going to go do a hygiene clinic. What's that? Uh, well, we're gonna, we, have, we have this mass donation. Somebody from America sent us all these toothbrushes, toothpaste, and random items, wet wipes, and even some shoes and all kinds of stuff. And so we're going to drive into one of the remote villages, like way into the mountains, um, where, you know, where, I mean, the, most of the time, the people that live in a village like that haven't really left that village. We're going to drive up there, and we're going we're gonna to kind of just set up a makeshift clinic and help them and, and, and provide some of these things to them. We figure that's probably the best use of these items. We didn't ask for them. We just have extra. It was one of those on-a-whim things. I think they had decided, like, three minutes before that they would go, and I thought, well, what mountain village can we drive to? I think there's one up this mountain. Let's go there. And so they asked for volunteers, and it was one of those where I went, okay. Begrudgingly, I got in the truck, and uh, here's where we went. So you can see the village down below. You can see kind of two bright spots in the very top. Uh, we went to those, to one of those. I don't know which one, but all the way in the top. And here's kind of the journey we went. At first, we started out, and we had some pretty, you know, I don't know if you call this a road, um, gravel pathway. 
And then for about a, the, the last maybe five miles or so, it looked a little more like this. Uh, and we made our way slowly. That's me in that, in that bright shirt with some hair. I promised you hair. There it is. Uh, and we made our way up. And you can imagine driving about five miles. I'm, I'm there because I'm trying to tell the guy where he can kind of get with his tires to be able to get up. It took us a, a while to get up into these mountains. And when we got there, this is what we set up. By the grace of God, it started to rain, and some guy had a big tarp in his truck, which I want to know where you get a tarp that size for when I rake leaves, because uh, that's really helpful. But that's what we set up. We just kind of put some trucks on, on, on tents, and we thought that we'd maybe get like 20 or so people. And what started to happen is out of the, the mountainsides, out of these paths, just people started pouring out. They had no idea we were coming, but they just showed up. And we probably had at least 200 people total just show up to where we were out of the woods. It was one of those, like, you literally watch people just come out of the woods, right, and show up to this clinic. And, and while we were there, we were doing a bunch of cool things. Uh, we were, you know, we were cleaning feet. We were doing wound care. A lot of these folks didn't have shoes, and so we were trying to, like, patch up their feet and, and do wound care as best as we could and then get them into some socks and shoes. Uh, we were handing out toothbrushes and toothpaste. Um, some, some people didn't know what they were, not because in any way there, it wasn't a destitute thing, they just hadn't ever encountered that. It was a, it was a new thing culturally, and so we were teaching uh, how to use those and, and all those kinds of things. And it was a beautiful thing, but the reason I, I really loved this trip um, and why I talk about this story is because on this little expedition that lasted for a couple hours, as we, we, by the way, came down that hill in the dark, uh, so that was wicked fun. <laughs> If you didn't have faith in Christ before, you certainly did on the way, on the way down. Uh, we didn't think about that. We were just doing work and cleaning feet, and then someone's like, you know, we still have to drive down, and like the sun is gone. And we went, oh, okay. But I love this story because in that time, there was about six or seven people that were part of that village that came to Christ for the first time in their life. And I love to, to tell that, not because it's, it's insignificant somehow that people came to Christ. That is a beautiful thing, and it's, it's a treasure every time someone does. But because this part of the trip wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't planned. It, it, like I said, maybe five minutes before we left, there wasn't any eloquence to it. We didn't have a gospel presentation of some kind. You know, we had high school graduate Vince who someone says, hey, why are you up here? And we, I just, I, Jesus. You know, I gave the Sunday school answer because I really didn't know how to eloquently say anything else. And so that was kind of the MO. It was this, this unprepared, messy thing. It, was, it rained as we got up there, and people still showed up. We didn't announce it, so we're not sure how they knew. I'm going to guess somebody saw us and ran up into the hills and told people to come down from, from the huts that they were living in. But it just wasn't supposed to happen, and we almost didn't go. And we didn't have a, a plan. We just had some random donated goods that we didn't know what to do with. And so the Lord used this, this time and our inadequacy and our fatigue and our disgustingness. Why anybody would have wanted to even talk to me the way I smelled and looked is beyond me. But he used that and he drew people to himself. It's a, a beautiful thing. God used our afterthought. To, to change the lives of people that otherwise wouldn't have been reached that day. And so because he, he used us to just go up this mountain, there are people that woke up that morning not knowing the hope of Jesus Christ, and they went to bed having been saved and having been embraced by their Savior. 
It was a beautiful thing. And it was the first time that as a, as a, as a person that I, I got a kind of face-to-face view of the providence of God. Right? He says, listen, you, you, you might think something's insignificant, but I will make much of it. That's my plan. So that was a beautiful thing. The, the teacher in Ecclesiastes um, this week kind of deals with this idea a little bit. He talks about a lot of different things like the randomness of life and even some death. So we've got a nice fuzzy uh, sermon for you this morning. But, but he gets into this idea of, of how our, our works and the things that we do can somehow intertwine with the way that God works and the things that he does. And so this morning, I would invite us to stand and we'll take a look at Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6 together and maybe learn something about this Christian blueprint of how life works as we go. It's the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. It's the word of the Lord. Have a seat. In in chapters 9 and 10, where we, we left, we covered a little bit of 8, uh, last week when we talked about politics, which, by the way, I promise you with everything in my heart that I didn't plan that around the election. I actually opened my Bible on Monday morning last week knowing that the election would be two days after church and went, darn. <laughs> That's a passage. Sometimes the Lord is provident and works in mysterious ways. And so we talked about the politics and the government stuff last week. 9 and 10, um, Solomon, the preacher, spends a lot of time talking about two big concepts. The first is death. He talks about death as this great equalizer, right? We've covered this, we've hinted at this a little bit already. But he says, no matter who you are, the wise, the, the simple, the rich, the poor, the good, the evil, you know, the, 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 the frugal, the big spenders, those who, those, those who kind of live for themselves, those who live for others, those who have great political power, those who are peasants with no political power, it doesn't matter who you are, like death comes in equal measure for every one of us. And so it's this, it's this great equalizer. You always have people in your life that you look at and say, I'd rather be like them if I only had what they have, and you aspire to it, and then there's always people that have less than you. But, but in the end, every one of us shares in common that we will die, and life on this earth will end. Right? That's, that's kind of a given. Right? And so he says, like, this is, this is the great equalizing thing. And, and then he also, you know, here's, here's a part of, of, of 9, chapter 9, 11 through 13, We'll look at in a second, but he talks about the randomness and the chance, seeming chance of life from our point of view. This is what he says. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man doesn't know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So death is inevitable. It's the great equalizer. 
And by the way, you don't know when it's coming for you or when any other circumstance might come for you. We have no idea what life is going to bring even tomorrow. The reality is this, and I don't mean that this isn't a gloom thing, I'm not prophesying, but it's possible that one of us in this room won't even make it home today after church is over. That's always a possibility. And so he's trying to convey in chapters 9 and 10 that this life, there's, there's a seeming randomness to it. The Lord might be in charge and he might know what he's doing, but you can't possibly know what tomorrow will bring. Right? You can save, you can plan, you can think about things, you can grow in wisdom, you can, you can have all these things. But even if you're wise, even if you're rich, even if you're prudent, even if you're helpful in serving, which are all good things, in the end, those might not pay off. And so if you're selfish and you store up for yourself, it might not pay off. You might spend a lifetime saving for retirement. You might not get to retirement. And if that's the case, then what you've done is work yourself to the bones until the day you die and never actually taken the time to enjoy a speck of life because you thought if you worked hard now, you could enjoy it all later. And the later might never come. He's saying, look, everything is random. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so in light of that and the reality that all we know for sure is that we're going to die someday, here in 11, 1 through 6 are some ways that might help us live life better as God would call us to. It's the mindset that we have to put ourselves in, right? Two chapters spent setting it up. 11 is the time that we get to the meat of what we're supposed to do with it. So because you have no idea what it'll bring and because nothing truly planable is given in your life, Solomon tells us the things that he tells us in here. And we have to start by kind of going through this stuff section by section, verse by verse, because there's some weird analogies and complex things kind of at play here. So let's start with the first. 11 verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. There's a whole bunch of things that this could mean. Uh, Most people like to relate this somehow to stewardship. If you're going to have a a stewardship Sunday, you read this verse and then you tell everybody to up their giving by 4%, you know, so that the church can function. And there's probably some stewardship language in there. There's stuff about giving that we could probably come out of here. But, But the main purpose of this passage, the main language of this passage, actually deals with the idea of international trade. Well, how the heck does it deal with international trade. What he's saying is, look, in, in, in this time, in this Old Testament time, you know, now international trade runs the whole global economy, right? If we stopped international trading today, most of us, 90% of what's in your house wouldn't exist like by the end of the week, right? But, but back then, it was still a more novel concept, this idea that you could put product that you made on a, on a boat and send it down the, down the sea, and then other products that you couldn't possibly make would come back. And so he's saying, look, Cast your bread upon the waters. The fruits of your labor, you know, your grain, if you're a farmer, whatever, you're called to to put it on a boat and send it out, literally, on the waters. And days later, it will will return back to you. He's literally talking about international foreign investment (laughs) in in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so the preacher encourages us to, to kind of obey this principle, but in a spiritual sense. We cast our efforts out there into the wild, hoping that the Lord might provide a return for them. And if we doubt that, he then follows it up with this second piece of give a portion to seven or even to eight. Seven is, in Scripture, this number of completeness. So he's saying, look, give a portion to seven. Give a perfect portion. Like, cast your your stuff out perfectly, all of it, 
And then he says eight. If you want to be even going above and beyond, then, then to eight people, right? That eight is supposed to be like the, just one step above what would be ideal, right? So even, even, even give even more, right? Of your money, of your talent, of your treasure, of your heart to the world around you, of your creativity, of your efforts. Right? Cast a net that is wide into the world so that you might see a return that is given to us. And here's what he's saying. Diversify your investments in a spiritual sense. Put your eggs in many baskets from a spiritual sense, from a Christian life sense. And give your gospel work generously. Cast it far and wide, and it will generate a return. Maybe not today, but days later. Right? And remember, this is all in light of the fact that we know everything is random, and we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So why, why do we do this? The preacher goes back to chapters 9 and 10. Everything is, is totally randomized. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so he, he then goes further and gives these analogies of rain and wind. And the, the thing that helps us dissect verses 3 and 4 is picturing a, a farmer in a field. I think that's the way that he's trying to communicate this. Saying, look, uh, clouds are full of rain. They'll empty themselves. It's just kind of what happens. When the clouds fill with rain, they, it rains. And when the wind blows, uh, then the tree might fall to the north or the south. And if it falls there, it's going to be there. Right? There's nothing you can do about it. And then he, then he says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. He's saying, look, rain is going to fall and wind is going to blow. Where are your efforts? Here's, here's the problem. The farmer is spending his time looking at the weather and seeing what the weather's doing instead of working for the harvest. He's so worried about, oh, it might, it might rain today. I don't know if I should go do the work today or if I should you know, postpone or do it later. And, and the implication of Solomon here is that the farmer's waiting for the perfect day to farm. And what, what the preacher says is that day might never come. So if all you do is just observe the wind and the rain, and you never put your plow to the ground, well, you're certainly never going to bear fruit. Right? Yeah, would it be best to farm on the perfect day to do it? Yeah. But you have no idea if and when that perfect day will come. So you can either get to work on an imperfect day, or you can just sit there and watch the clouds, and nothing will come of it. Right? And so when we put all of this together we see that the preacher is starting to talk about circumstances and how we work and be on mission and live the gospel out in the world around us in the various circumstances in which we find ourselves. And he's saying, look, there are no perfect circumstances. And then he goes even further. In verse 5, he gives this weird analogy about the, the womb of a woman and how we observe it. And he's, he's saying really nothing but this. He goes, look, you don't really even understand when you see a woman who's pregnant like, a human life is growing inside of another person. Like, have you ever thought about the craziness of that? Right? I got to watch the birth of both my children, and I just sit there and think, like, a whole another human being with all of their, with all of their, 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 their personalities and idiosyncrasies and the things that make up who they are is growing inside of another person and then is born, and they grow up themselves, and they then also can have a child that is born to them, and so forth and so forth. That's insane. And we know medically now what happens, right? We can talk about a, a fetus and, and all these things, but, but we really don't comprehend it, right? Like, we don't understand. Like, the Lord is knitting together 
a personality. You, don't, you understand how cells replicate and grow. You don't understand how inside of the womb of a mother a kid is becoming the way they are before they're born. But the Lord plans how their mind's going to work, how they're going to grow, whether they're going to be a peaceful child or a crazy one. We don't understand. He's saying, look, the preacher's telling you, 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 you look at a, a woman who's pregnant, you don't, you don't even understand what's happening, what God is doing in the womb of, a, of a one single person. What makes you think that you can understand what the Lord is doing in the whole world, right? So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. If you can't get this little thing, how do you expect to get anything in the bigger scheme of life? And so he's saying, look, life is random. You not only should just be worried about the perfect day and when you work or whatever, just put your plow to the ground. Not only that, but you actually have no idea of knowing when those days will come. You don't know what God is doing. You don't know the work he's up to. You don't know how he is or isn't using X, Y, or Z. You have no idea what he does and how he does it. Every once in a while, you get a glimpse of the work of God. Right? You see a person come to faith and you can you can backtrace and you can go yeah these kind of 15 people over the years spoke into their life maybe you did that maybe as an adult you came to faith and you go back and you know you weren't thinking about it at the time but you go yeah that, those are the conversations and the people that were really that the Lord used I guarantee you at the time those people probably didn't know that they were going to be used we don't know the way that the Lord works and so in light of that we should worry less about the circumstances we find ourselves in and worry more about what we're going to do with them, whatever they are in the particular moment in time. Right? And so then, as he, as he gives us this piece, he then moves on and he starts to give us the last little chunk of advice in the last verse, in verse 6. He says, so in light of all of this, because you're supposed to cast a wide net because you don't know when disaster will happen on earth. So don't store up your treasures. Just cast a wide net because you could be gone tomorrow and then you just have a savings account sitting there. Maybe you pass it on to your children, but they could be gone tomorrow too. So you don't really know. Cast a wide net because if you're just the farmer who's staring at the sky and never doing anything, there'd be no fruit. If you just keep waiting for the perfect opportunity, it might never come and you don't understand it. So in light of all of that, in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. He says, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening don't withhold your hand. From morning to sundown, dive in in faith. Take the opportunities to do the work of the kingdom. Be liberal with your wallet and your time and your talent and your creative thinking and your ability. Be liberal with the conversations and the time that you take with people even though life is busy. Slow down. Take a moment. Do the things that you always thought you might do later. Get into the dirty work of the gospel and the kingdom and get busy. Right? As Red would say from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. If we had to sum up chapter 11, we could do it beautifully with a Shawshank quote, which always makes my heart a little happy. Right? One of the hardest parts of being a Christian, to me at least, is living in those places where God knows what he's doing, but we don't know what God is doing. Right? 
There's times where we walk through Christian life and we, we see what God's up to, we, we see what we're called to do, how we're called to live, and we can press into it, and it might require some faith, but we know it's the right thing, and we move forward. But the hard times are, are when we really have no idea what God is doing, right? A loving God would never X. Well, you don't know that. We have no idea what a loving God would do and why, because we don't understand the ways of the world. Only he does. That is such a difficult thing. We want to know the plan. We want to understand every mystery of our existence on this earth, don't we? That's the, that's the original sin. If you look at Adam and Eve, what tree did they eat from? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were deceived by the serpent who said, listen, do you want to think and know like God thinks and knows? Do you want to understand it all? He's just keeping this tree from you, so because if you eat it, he knows that you're going to have the mind that he does, and he, he wants all that to himself. He doesn't want you to understand. He wants you to, to just know very little. He wants you to just be this obedient, naive thing that doesn't understand the world, and if you eat this fruit, you'll understand, and you'll see the world through God's eyes as he does, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to be like him. They wanted to know all the things that God knew. They wanted to have his mind and have his knowledge and have his wisdom and have it all. And I'm telling you, we don't and we can't. We have to accept that if we're going to be faithful followers of Christ. So the, the preacher here is saying, accept that reality. And in light of it, just be faithful. This, this could be a stewardship sermon about giving, but it's about so much more than money. This isn't a money passage. We can make it into that, but it's not. It's about all we do. The, first, the, Christian, the preacher's telling us that the Christian life we, we, we live is one that's meant to leave everything out on the field. But we don't do that, aren't we? We're such a reserved people. Instead of being faithful investors in the kingdom of God, we, we just kind of hold it back. We, we wait for the most opportune moments. How many of you have not heeded a call to action that you felt the Holy Spirit pulling you towards for various reasons. That person just won't respond well if I talk about the gospel. They'll, they'll, they'll think I'm weird. Or, or they'll be hostile. Or they're not going to have the response that I think they're going to have. I'm going to wait until I think they're ready to hear me talk about Jesus. You don't know the ways that God is working. You don't know the way that the world works. You don't know what his plan is. You don't know. We just established this. But, but yet you, you hold back because you don't know that it'll work. Most of us are only willing to have gospel conversations with somebody in our sphere if we already think they're going to be receptive to it. Imagine what a crazy mission strategy that is. We're only going to serve and be missional to the people who we think are already going to accept Jesus anyway. It doesn't work that way. How many of you think this way? And don't, don't raise your hand, but honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really give to the church, but like, I, I mean, it's not like I would be able to give a lot anyway, so like, they're probably not missing my money. Now, in a sense, you're right, we aren't, because the Lord will produce as much cash as he wants to for this church. If, if the Lord wants this church to have a $10 million endowment, tomorrow someone will pass away and leave us $10 million. He will. Right? We, we have the amount of money in this church that God wants us to have at any given time. And we do not panic about finances, we do not worry about them. We're faithful in them, we project, we do math, we think, we budget, and then we do the Lord's work that he's calling us to do. And the Lord will provide what he needs to provide. And he'll keep back what he needs to. But the Lord is calling us to be part of the contributing factor to that. How many of you won't step out in faith when it comes to giving because you just you either A, think it won't make a difference, or B, you just don't know if you need it, or you know, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Cast a net that is wide and deep. How many of you 
think that the world's problems are so vast that I might as well not even be out there because I'm not going to make a difference or a dent. Well, if everybody thought differently, we might actually get somewhere, right? How many of, of us on our team thought, yeah, I don't, I don't really need to get in that truck. It's not, I mean, we're just going to pass out some toothpaste. That's stupid. Right? We don't know is the point that the preacher drives home. You never know what the littlest effort, the smallest seed sown will produce until you actually invest and get your hands dirty and get your calendar and your wallet and your mind and your talent open to the world that is around you. And you invest into the kingdom. You just won't know. How many of you think you're not spiritual enough to serve in a specific area of the church? All the people I see doing that are way more advanced in their faith than I am. Well, until you just take a step forward, you don't know. And, and the big thing is, we might actually fail. That's the thing that we're so afraid of, right? Yeah, there's promises in Scripture that many of our efforts will fall flat. That's why he tells us to cast a wide net. Be in all these things, because if you sow your seed in like 50 different places or, in, or ventures or conversations or people, you know, maybe three or four of them pay off. But if you hold back, zero. Right? I would rather put, put eggs in 50 baskets and get four back than to just sit back and do nothing rest on my laurels. Right? Invest. Get involved. Maybe you get involved in an area of the church and you find that you stink at it. Okay. Get back out. Go into a different sphere. But try things. Get involved. Maybe you think I'll fail if I have that conversation at Thanksgiving with my uncle that I've been wanting to have for years. It won't go anywhere. Have the conversation. And if it fails, okay. Right? I'll never forget in middle school youth ministry, it was, a, you know, it was on a mission trip, and a girl really liked this boy, and I kept telling her, like, well, does he, does he know that you like him? Well, no. I'm like, what's your plan? Oh, I don't know, I just, I like him. He's really hot. <laughs> like, have you, have you done anything? Have you maybe gone up to him, and I don't know, like, you're a middle school girl, like, have you awkwardly, like, flicked your hair? Or, you know, have you done anything to maybe insinuate? Well, no, I mean, I can't talk to him. You've never talked to him? Well, no, I, 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 I don't know what I'd say. Well, you know, if you never talk to him, you're never going to, like, there's no chance you would ever. Yeah, but I couldn't live with the rejection. Well, you realize that every minute you go that don't have the conversation, you're actually actively being rejected in the moment already, right? Like, you're living rejection day to day, every day of your life. He's probably still single. If you're out there, I won't say your name, but you probably know who you are. I love you dearly, and I pray that you find a spouse, right? But we, we do that with our lives. We just don't invest because we're so worried that it won't pay off and that we'll fail. And it's just so sad. The preacher is trying to point to us how wrong that thinking is. Right? Philip Graham Riken, who's a, a preacher, says it this way. Rather than holding on to what we have, hoarding it all for ourselves which is the error that the man with one talent made in the parable that Jesus told in Matthew. God invites us to be venture capitalists for the kingdom of God. This isn't exclusively or even primarily about money. It's about having the holy boldness to do seven or even eight things to spread the gospel and then waiting for God's ship to come in. 
Some of the things that we attempt may fail or at least seem to fail at the time. Some of the ministries we start, for example, or the churches we plant or the efforts we make to share the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. But we should never stop investing with the gospel in as many places as we can. Whenever we engage in kingdom enterprises, we offer the Holy Spirit something he can do or something he can and often will use to save people's souls. Take a risk. One of the tragedies of our time is this over-professionalization of gospel work, that somehow we think that the average person in their congregation can't be about the work of the gospel. Every single person in this room has the ability to triple the size of this church. And I don't mean butts in seats. I mean people that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Like you, you have that power within you because the Lord is within you. Right? you. You have the power to convert your entire office to Christ tomorrow if that's the will that he has for you. But you've got to actually do something, not just keep thinking about it. Right? How many of you feel grossly unready or unqualified? Don't raise your hand, but think about this. How many of you feel grossly unready or unqualified to share the gospel in the world around you? Right? I have news. Number one, you are grossly unqualified and unready. And number two, the Lord works through you, and all you have to do is be faithful. You can stumble over your words, you can mistakenly offend somebody. Just go back and apologize and own it. Right? If you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they, they get offended by, by what you're saying, well, then take a step back. Say, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I share this because it's, it's important to me and I love you. And you know, if I can say it differently, I'd love to. Right? But take the risk. Get in there. If we sit around and wait for the perfect opportunity, it may never come. You may not be around tomorrow to get the chance to have the conversations that you kind of want to have today to invest in the ministries that you wanted to invest in today. So do it today. God will use some of those efforts, and in him you have tremendous power because the promises he makes is that he will work in you and through you. So my challenge and encouragement to you this morning is this. Get busy living or get busy dying. Have the conversations you're meant to have Serve in the areas that you feel like you're meant to serve. Give in the sacrificial way that you think you should someday be giving. Love the neighbors you can never seem to remember to make a day's time for. Right? We have neighbors that have probably lived in our area, in our, in our neighborhood, for two years, and we keep meaning to have them over for dinner. And like, we haven't yet. What is that? <laughs> like, why? Are we really that busy in life? No. We can't possibly be, right? And, and this teaching applies not just to you and I as individuals, but to the church as a broad entity as well. Right? Um, at church, we're called to cast our bread in many waters. One of the beautiful things this year um, is, is we talked to the finance team in the session. They're working on the budget right now. And one of the things we've asked is for them to increase the missions budget this year. Right? Even if other things decrease, we increase the missions budget. And we, we have a goal over the next, I don't know, it's a loose couple of years, maybe five, seven, eight years, whatever it takes, to get to a point where our church is sending 10% of our budget out of here on mission. Right. If, our budget, if our budget's 300 grand, we want to send $30,000 out of this building every year to, to missionaries and to ministries in the local area that do the work of gospel work. Right? And, and the other thing that I'm excited about is that the missions committee is, is starting to take a look at this idea of church planting and getting serious about being invested in church planting. Now, are we, as a small 100, some 120-member church or whatever, going to plant 
a church on our own? No, but we can partner with other churches and get into the business of that. We can support missionaries who are, are doing that work. We can join in with the EPC in various ways and places, and we can be on mission, and we can start to just say, listen, we're going to start to throw some ministry and gospel work out into the world and see if it sticks. And if it fails, we'll get together, we'll assess it, we'll look at it, we'll shrug our shoulders, and we'll invest somewhere else. We'll pick ourselves up, and we won't mourn about it forever and ever. Because we're about the kingdom and we cast a wide net. We put our eggs in many baskets. We have a diversified spiritual gospel portfolio as people and as the church. I'll close with this. This week on, um, on Thursday, I got to sit down and have coffee with, uh, with a missionary. Um, and it's, a, it's a guy uh, that is planting a church in, um, in Scotland. Scotland is one of the most unchurched places in all of Europe. We don't think about Europe as an unchurched place, but, but the level of secularization in Europe is staggering. You can estimate that whatever happens in Europe is about 15 years ahead of here, which is really cool for us because we can look at what's happening and we can have a warning siren of what's coming. But I was talking to them and he's planning a church in a, in a town in Scotland, actually three towns that are connected, that has about 50,000 population and there's one church of 60 people. And it's a church that is so liberal that they hired an associate pastor that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Right? We're not talking liberal, like the stuff of our day. Right? We're talking about like a, an associate pastor who doesn't actually believe in Jesus. So really, no church at all. Right? So you can say that this population of three towns is 0% churched. He was telling me that in Scotland they rejoiced this year because church growth was 0% this year. I said, how is that a good thing? He said, well, it's been declining for the past decade. This is the first year we actually were flat, so we're excited. They got excited because zero church growth. Right? He's planting a, a church in the midst of this small town, like an hour and a half north of Edinburgh, where no one really lives or wants to go. And they're, they're investing there. Their family's moving there. There's another pastor that's going to work with them. And they're planting this church in a place where, by all accounts, it makes no sense to plant a church because it probably would fail. And I can tell you something. He was so excited to go and cast that bread in that water. It was, it was so neat. As my first thought was, yeah, that's going to be hard. His thought was, yeah, but we can do this and we can build these relationships and they don't have any hope and they're, they're lonely. So if we can come in and we can provide a community that actually is centered around something. And you could tell, the guy talking was just, he was jazzed to be able to get into a place where the Lord wasn't doing anything and be his hands and feet. And I, I can tell you something. I, I'm pretty confident that in a couple years when we check in that we're going we're gonna to see the Lord doing some real neat things in those towns. I wouldn't be surprised if that church takes off because the Lord will take our efforts and he will multiply them and he will use them if we're willing to cast our nets. Have the conversation you've meant to have. Invest the money you meant to invest. Give your time to the people that you've meant to give it to. Build the relationships that you've been neglecting to build for the sake of the gospel kingdom. Otherwise, you're just a farmer looking at rain, wondering when his crops are going to grow that he never put in the ground. And then you'll die, and that's it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of not division, but multiplication. Or that when we are faithful, that you multiply our efforts like you multiplied loaves and fishes.
Lord, we praise you that we get to play a role in your kingdom, that somehow this, this kingdom advances and it will be ushered in, and you're, you're ruling and reigning even now until you come back again to reign fully, but, but that you invite us to be a part of it, that we get to say that we were there when the kingdom got built. Lord, we pray that we might find ways to invest, and we pray that we might have the faith to step out, that we would be willing to risk and willing to fail Lord, 20 times for the one time that it pays off. We pray that we would be willing to, to fail with our time. We pray that we would be willing to fail with our resources. We pray that we would be willing to fail with our monies. Because nothing invested in your kingdom is wasted. And you promise us that there will be fruit. We love you. And we praise you. Help us to be venture capitalists for your kingdom. 